1789, church attendance was 17%. Do you know what it is today? 34%. That's double. Don't tell me we don't live in a religious nation. Some of you have lived in secular places. Let me tell you, the United States of America, especially the Southeast, is not one of them. People are still very religious. But as I look at Revelation 7, verse 9, John has shown a crowd so big you cannot count them. Here's the verse, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. I looked and behold, a great multitude which no one could number. That's a big crowd. Just a few verses before, he's talking about the 144,000. Now he's talking about a crowd. We can't even number this crowd. Of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. Friends, here John is shown the triumphal saints of all ages. And it's a crowd so big you can't count it. The Bible doesn't say the work fizzles out. It doesn't say the work peters out. It doesn't say it whimpers. It doesn't say it cowers in the corner. But it ends up with a crowd so big, you and I can't count them. Like the promises God made to Abraham. You remember the story when God said, hey, Abraham, wake up. Come out of your tent. Come down to the river. I want you to scoop up a handful of sand. How much do you have? And Abraham says, I have a handful. No, no, no. I'm not talking about that. How many grains of sand do you have? I don't know. I can't count. That's right. That's how many descendants you're going to have, Abraham. Abraham, look up into the sky. How many stars are there in the sky, Abraham? I don't know. I can't count them. Friends, the studies look nothing like the promises of God. So either God made a mistake with the message he told us to preach in these last days and the audience he told us to go to, or maybe there's a problem with the studies. Now, I'm not against academia, but I just have one question. How often in thousands of years of human academia have the academics been infallible? Are you with me? Students, there's a reason your biology textbook is in its 67th edition. They have to change it all the time. Things that we have assumed to be true, beyond a shadow of a doubt. You know, for the longest time, we accepted as fact that men had more teeth than women for years. Do you know what they trace it back to? Aristotle was praying around in front of his class and he just made the statement, men have more teeth than women. And for hundreds of years, nobody stopped to count Mrs. Aristotle's teeth. Look, I like education. Get all the education you can. We're counseled to do that. Get all the education that you can. It's good to study. The problem is when you start taking yourself too seriously. And you start to put complete faith in your own results. I think we've all seen, sadly, those individuals who kind of reason their way out of the church. And they say, this is impossible. This is an impossibility. The Bible speaks of this condition. It says, always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Because spiritual things are spiritually discerned. Human academics have always been prone to make mistakes. So if, I, if it comes down to what God asks of my life and what God asks of my church and what God asks of all of us, if it comes down between choosing that and what the experts are telling us, I'll tell you which is a safer bet. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands how long? Forever. 
If you have to make a choice, the choice is obvious. Not once in 2,000 years have Christians had to apologize for what is found in the pages of the Bible. We've had to apologize with how we've behaved. We've had to apologize for things we've done. But we have never, ever had to apologize for the promises of God's word. They stand forever. So if you have to make a choice, the choice is obvious. Any study that contradicts the word of God is just flat out wrong. Because I've seen millennials, I've seen Gen Xers respond to our message. I've seen college graduates and PhDs, blue collar, white collar. I mean, we could go down through some of the the well-known evangelists that you know. David Ashick was a teenage punk rocker. Clifford Goldstein, the Sabbath school lesson. He was living in a Jewish kibbutz. Just a fun word to say. Try it sometime. Doug Batchelor, naked hippie. Not going to work. Lives in a cave. Pushing out society. Give up. John Bradshaw, top radio jockey in New Zealand. Ron Halverson, a gangbanger from New York who gave his heart to Jesus at 17. That just doesn't happen, folks. The studies say it can't be done. John Boonstra himself was in college as one who hated history. Now he just loves history. He, he just consumes history. Because it's all about what God has been doing with his people all the, way, all the way through. I mean, folks, do you believe for a minute that God is in heaven this morning gathering the angels and saying, Gabriel, get a pen, get a paper. Come on over here. I made a mistake. I didn't see this postmodern secular generation coming. I gave the church the wrong message for these last days. We better do a rewrite and fast. I mean, do you see that for a moment? Then why do we live like that? But we sometimes or somehow got this idea that the work is up to us. We think it's up to us. We think that Jesus gave us this assignment. Guys, I want you to go make disciples of every nation, language, tongue, and people. And then he left. He went to heaven, left us saying, but how? As if Jesus were just to respond back, I don't know. You figure it out. I'll be back later. As if it's up to us. Friends, not at all. We think it's up to us to figure out how to do this. And as a result, we've been making some incredibly stupid mistakes along the way. So when the experts say, oh, the young people don't like church. Okay, then we need to make church look like it isn't church. And we listen to the experts. What we're missing is that over in Western Europe, they've already gone through that phase. And all the kids are now asking for the old school liturgical worship from the 1800s because it's new and it's cool. Have you heard of the Church of God Chicken Grill. This church continues to see a decline of men in the church, not an uncommon phenomenon. And they said, how are we going to get our men back? And somebody came up with this brilliant idea. We'll have a tailgate party after church. We'll have one of the best chefs, known chefs, come in. We'll have this big barbecue, and all the men will come out. You know what happened? The barbecue got bigger and bigger and bigger. I mean, there were men everywhere. And you know what happened to the church service? It got smaller and smaller and smaller because you can't bait and switch. It doesn't work. I don't have a slide for this next idea, but a denomination in Northern Europe felt that men weren't reading their Bibles enough. Solution. This is about 25 years ago. Let's print a special edition Bible with bikini girls in every single margin. Flew off the shelves. They sold millions of them. 
Not one of them was ever read. And services just got smaller and smaller until they started closing churches. In the Netherlands, they said, we can't get anybody to come to church. I mean, you think I'm making this stuff up. I'm not making it up. So let's let the drug dealers do their deals in the sanctuary, in the pews. That will get people in the building. Sure did. How many converts do you think they saw? Zero. None. It doesn't work. New York Times, 2007, was observing how Christians do everything and anything to bring people to church, including video game parties. The article ended with this question. And New York Times is no friend of of Christians. But anyway, here was their question. What price are these people willing to pay to appear relevant? That's a good question, isn't it? Maybe the better question is, what makes message relevant to people? Somehow we've got this idea that it's up to us. We need to make it relevant. But is that God's plan? Folks, is it our job to make people think that this message is relevant? Or is it our job to find people who think this message is relevant? Those are two different tasks. I want to show you a quote from Desire of Ages that to me is one of the best quotes about how to do this thing called evangelism. It's in Desire of Ages, chapter 37. It's the very first line of the chapter. And the chapter is entitled, The First Evangelist. And it goes like this. The apostles were members of the family of Jesus, and they accompanied him as he traveled on foot through Galilee. They had shared with him the toils and hardships that overtook them. They had listened to his discourses. They had walked and talked with the Son of God. And from his daily instruction, they had learned how to work for the elevation of humanity. And then we get a list of how to work for the elevation of humanity. Are you ready? As Jesus ministered, don't miss that. Go home today and and put these little numbers in your desire of ages at home. As one, Jesus ministered. Who is ministering? Jesus. To the vast multitudes that gathered about him, his disciples were in attendance, eager to do his bidding and to, to lighten his labor. They assisted in arranging the people, bringing the afflicted ones to the Savior and promoting the comfort of all. Do you recall Revelation 4 and 5? John is standing in the throne room of heaven. He sees God on the throne and a scroll written front and back and is sealed with seven seals. And a voice asks in Revelation 5 verse 2, Who is worthy to loose the seals thereof? And they couldn't find anybody. And so John weeps. And then they behold the Lamb that was slain. This is Jesus. This is sanctuary language. And so the scene in Revelation 4 and 5 is Jesus being installed as our high priest. And they say over and over, you are worthy. You are worthy. Worthy is the lamb. And you're worthy to open the seals. And so as a result, Jesus opens the seals. And from that moment, church history, from his resurrection forward, or we could say from Pentecost forward through the book of Acts, church history begins to unfold. And we see that in Revelation chapter 6. The white horse is the apostolic church. The red horse, Christians suffering under Roman persecution. The black horse, Constantine's so-called conversion. The pale horse, the church slipping into the dark ages. It's the whole history of the church taking us all the way down to the falling of the stars in 1833. Now time out for a minute. Remember before Jesus left, 
What did he tell his disciples before he left? He says, I want you to go to Judea, to Samaria, to all the earth, but I want you to stay here in Jerusalem until what? Until the Holy Spirit is poured out. And so they wait. And on the day of, what do we call it? Pentecost. The Spirit falls, and they're able to preach to all people in their own tongue. And Acts 2, 33, Lola did a great job reading it to us, speaks of all this and ties these two events together, both what's happening in heaven and what's happening on earth and how that's impacting what's happening on earth. And so we read it again, Acts 2, 33 on the screen. Therefore being exalted to the right hand of God. Who is this? This is Jesus. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. Where? On earth. So Jesus has just been exalted to the right hand of the Father. He receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he, Jesus, sheds it forth on us. We always say it's the disciples that received the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. And it's true. But it's not technically what happened. Because in heaven, Jesus' sacrifice was accepted. He was inaugurated as our high priest. He receives the Holy Spirit and he sheds it on the earth beneath. There's a a prophecy in the Old Testament, I think, that alludes to this. Psalms 133, verse 1. It says, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. I believe that to be Pentecost, coming together in one accord and in prayer and so on. Continuing on, it's only three verses in this psalm, and it says, It is like the precious oil upon the head, the precious oil being the Holy Spirit, running down the beard, the beard of Aaron, who is the high priest. Now Jesus is the high priest, running down the edge of his garments. And so on the day of Pentecost, Jesus in heaven receives the Spirit. It overflows from him to the church beneath. Does that make sense? So what's the point of all this? The point is that the whole plan for the church is run from the heavenly sanctuary. Jesus is the one that ministers. Jesus is the one that's anointed with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is working through the Holy Spirit. And he does the work of repentance. He brings people under conviction. He does it all. We don't do any of it. If you read the Bible carefully, it teaches that God gives people the gift of repentance, not us. Romans 2 verse 4, the goodness of God leads you to repentance. It doesn't say Pastor Wright, Pastor Hyman, the the head elder. It says the goodness of God leads to you repentance. God brings people to the cross of Christ. John 6 44, no one, how many? No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. He does the drawing. He does the convicting. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings people under conviction, not us. It is all his work, and none of it's up to us. In fact, you can search the Bible from cover to cover, and you will never find God telling us to come up with another plan. It's not there. So back to this quote, as Jesus ministered, to the vast multitudes that gathered about him. His disciples were in attendance, eager to do his bidding and delight in his labor. They assisted. As we continue on, it says, they, the disciples, watched for interested hearers. Think about that. Jesus is preaching, Jesus is teaching, Jesus is healing, and they're watching. 
And what are they watching for? The next bargain on Amazon? Are they watching their watches to see when are we going to take lunch? They're watching for interested hearers. Because they're, they're focused in. And the Holy Spirit is speaking through Jesus. And their hearts are being touched and convicted. And you can't hide that look from your face. You can see it in the eyes. You can see it in the expression. And so the disciples are looking for interested hearers. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is able to penetrate that heart. 1 Corinthians 2.14, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Friends, if someone is genuinely secular, which I don't believe there's that many that fall into that camp, we talk about the secular an awful lot, but if you actually sit down and talk, most people, a lot of them are just atheists, they say they don't believe in God, but how are you really truly angry at somebody who doesn't exist? But anyway, if you could actually find a genuinely secular person, there is nothing you can do to make them interested in spiritual things. Nothing. And they're not, these aren't my words. This is Paul here who writes, and there is nothing you can do to change that. You can't make people interested. You can't. Which makes me wonder why we spend so much time and energy and resources talking about how to reach people who aren't interested When all the while there are people falling off the trees all around us who are interested. Gospel Workers 136, you can go home and read this as well. Ellen White shares a dream that she's told about the berries to pick and they're out picking and the whole thing is a parable. But she says, don't pick the green berries. Don't do it. Don't touch them. Pick the ripe fruit. I mean, any farmer knows or anybody with an orchard knows, you can point all day long, not ripe, not ripe, not ripe, not ripe. Yeah, I get it. But you can also say, look, ripe, 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 ripe. And you can also go to those same trees on the ground. You can say, nobody harvested there, 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 and there. No, you look for the ripe fruit. We can't make people interested. God makes people interested. That's his part. They watched for interested hearers. Number three, they explained the scriptures to them and in various ways worked for their spiritual benefit. I mean, that makes sense because those people are hearing the voice of the spirit in their hearts and then you open up the Bible to them, a book inspired by the same Holy Spirit. And when they hear the words of the Bible, they recognize the voice. You and I are just there to help them connect the dots and invite them to come home. But friends, until we get this, witnessing is stressful. What if I'm not convincing enough? What if I don't say all the right things? What if I make an altar call and nobody comes forward? The fact of the matter is, you don't have to convince people because you can't. What you have to do is appeal to people who are feeling the conviction that the Holy Spirit brings. Do you see the difference? We watch for interested hearers. We explain the scriptures to them. I mean, you read the book of Acts. There's no such thing as a cold interest anywhere in the whole book of Acts. I challenge you to find it. The day of Pentecost. Who did people people baptize? It tells us devout men from every nation under heaven. These are people the Holy Spirit's already been working on. And now there's just a harvest. Acts chapter 8. God says, Philip, I have a Bible study for you and you're late. He's riding in a chariot. He's halfway through the book of Isaiah. He doesn't understand what he's reading. 
Philip is the last one to the meeting. We're always the last one to the meeting, by the way. God always gets there first. Acts chapter 9. Ananias, I've got a Bible study for you. Oh, great, Lord, I love Bible studies. Who is it? Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus? I can't give a Bible study to Saul of Tarsus. He kills Christians. Don't worry about it. I've already pushed him over. He's been blind for three days. He's waiting in the dark for his Bible study. Acts chapter 10. The first Gentile convert. Who is it? Cornelius. Described in verse 2 as a devout man who is already giving gifts to God's work. An angel appears to him. Tells him to go to Simon Peter the Tanner in Joppa. We were just there. Right there on the Mediterranean Sea. And God gives Peter a dream regarding Gentiles. So when Cornelius shows up, they have a Bible study. God stirs conviction. There's no way you and I can do it. You look for interested hearers. You look for conviction. You don't create it. It's everywhere. We just have to look. People are ready to come home all over the place. My last district I was in, we had purchased this house, and we had lined up for the moving truck to come, and we only had so much time before uh, we actually took possession of the house. We had about a week Elizabeth's dad helped us actually preview some of these houses. And when we saw this, and we said, oh, man, we do a lot of good stuff to this place. And Elizabeth says, I don't like this place. She didn't see the vision yet. But we were going to knock down this whole wall that was separating the kitchen and the dining room and the living room. It was all going to be one big great room because it's a tiny house anyway. And the wall was kind of awkwardly placed. And so for that week, we were going to take that out. Well, we had to match the countertops and the, and the cabinets, which were relatively new from the last remodel. And they thought they got him from Home Depot. And so my father-in-law, he calls up Home Depot and he talks to this lady. Her name is Linda. And Linda was very helpful about trying to find and match the same cabinets with the same countertop. She actually was able to put everything all together and was just very helpful. Finally, we go and we meet her and we're introduced. You know, we meet in the flesh because we, we actually had to work by faith and order these things. So we would have them to install in that week that we had. Everything worked perfectly. And Linda told us later, long story short, she said, this guy on the phone was just so nice. There was something about him. I couldn't explain it. And then we go to Home Depot to meet her. And she tells us later, there was just like this light around them. Light? I mean, I just stubbed my toe this morning in the dark. I don't know of any light. No, there was just something about their countenance and their face and and their kind eyes. And I don't know. The Holy Spirit can do amazing things. And she ended up coming to church. I was able to go through a whole set of studies with her. She's right there in Home Depot. We're ordering cabinets. People are falling off the trees. Ken and Brenda right here, second row. Ken told me this morning they were searching for three years for a church that taught the Bible. It was Bible-based but friendly. Praise the Lord. What a compliment to this church. And they came to the Daniel fast, and they were friendly. And then they saw the advertisement for the Revelation seminar. They said, well, let's go check that out. And it it just clicked, and it started to make sense to them. Now you come to our Daniel fast. Brenda's all over the place. Ken's one of our deacons. I mean, we just think they've been here forever. Did we create that longing in their hearts? We did not. God put it there long before we even came up on the scene. Just last Sabbath, Joe Gagnon right here was baptized. Jack Henderson met him in Lowe's in the lighting department. Man, I tell you, evangelism is not dead. And if you want to evangelize, go to the hardware store. (laughs) 
meets in the lighting department. They have a spiritual conversation. He too was, was seeking. This is a, it's called a, a God-ordained uh, meeting, if you will. And so they start talking. He shares a book and some other things. And, and he starts studying. They, he stays in touch with them. Thank you, Jack, for doing that. I commend you for that. And he's here, excited about the truth. A pastor friend of mine was grocery shopping at the store with his cell phone out, making sure he bought all the right things for his wife. Men, do you ever do that? Now, is it this one or is it that one? No, don't get that one. If you get that one, I won't use it. Oh, no, that'll be a waste of money. Put that back. And he's going through the store and he's talking. I don't even think he has his phone up. I think he has an earpiece in because the lady behind the deli counter thinks that she's talking to him. And so she tries to interact and, oh, I'm sorry, I'm on the phone. So he gets off the phone and he apologized to her. And he says, oh, don't worry about it. I forgive you. But while you're here, while I have your attention, do you want a chicken? I have a great deal on chicken, a whole roasted chicken on sale, $5 each. How many do you want? He says, man, that's an incredible deal. How many do you want? None. Why wouldn't anybody want chicken? I mean, this is a great deal. He says, well, I'm a vegetarian. Vegetarian? Really? Why? Well, I found out later in life it was better for me. Huh. I used to be vegetarian. Huh. That's interesting. But I'm not anymore. All the way around. She says, no, but you don't understand. I was really vegetarian. He says, I'm not sure I know what really vegetarian is. And he said, no, I was really, really vegetarian. Every weekend, my mother made a special K roast. My friend telling the story, he says, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. But at that moment, a bell went off in his head. He says, I know there's only one people on earth that would eat special K roast. (laughs) So he changed the language a little bit. And he said, that's fascinating. He said, you grew up Adventist and I didn't. And she said, yeah, whoops. I knew it, I knew it, he said. And I'm an Adventist minister and God sent me to your counter today because I bet you haven't been going to church for years. And she hung her head and started to cry right there in the deli counter. And she said, I was just praying about that this morning. Folks are falling off the trees all around us and we're trying to reinvent it. Folks, you look at what's happening in this denomination. Crowds are bigger than they've ever been. There's more response than... I've ever seen things are happening even in this country that are causing people to really scratch their heads and say, what in the world is going on? But we need to focus on the ripe berries. Give the green ones a little time. They'll ripen. The disciples watch for interested hearers and explain the scriptures to them. You know, even on the road to Emmaus, here are a couple of postmoderns, right? They used to know everything they believed in now and everything was nailed down and secure. And now the Messiah has been crucified and they don't know what to believe anymore. And so they're just kicking dirt down the road. And Jesus appears and he could have flashed in all of his glory and said, I'm back, it's me, here I am. But no, the Son of God, the resurrected Son of God, it says in Luke 24, 27, beginning with Moses and the prophets, he expounds all the things concerning himself. Somehow they don't recognize him. And what does he do? Gives them a prophecy seminar, a Bible study. And if that's how Jesus does it. That settles it for me forever. I can't convict people, but I can find people under conviction and share what God's word says to them. Connect the dots. Pastor Hyman says he's going to go through his neighborhood. If everybody doesn't respond, he's a failure. Not true. Most people he knocks on their door are not going to be interested. They might be polite. They might take a brochure. But it's those divine appointments where Jesus was there first. And they were just praying that morning, Lord, if you love me at all, 
before I just end it, I'm going to give you one day to show me that you're real. You didn't set that up. I didn't set that up. The Holy Spirit sets that up. But the Holy Spirit says, today's the day. Well, I was going to do it on Monday, but this thing came up and Tuesday. And then, but today's the day. And you knock and they open the door. They take the brochure and they slam it. And you say, fail. And they look at the brochure and they just sink down behind the door and they're crying and weeping because there's something here that has touched their hearts and God has said to them, I do love you. I do have a plan and purpose for you. Go to this. It's a divine appointment. We don't come up with those. That's not part of any marketing strategy. Studies say you and I have nothing to do with it. But God goes and shows up first. So Jesus is the minister. We watch for interested hearers. We explain the scriptures to them. They taught what they had learned of Jesus. I'm almost done. What they personally knew of Jesus, by the way. This is your testimony. Because at the end of the day, most people are hoping it's true. They'll listen to the voice of the Spirit in their hearts. They will read the Word of God. And the next place they're going to look is you. With one burning question, does it work? Does it work? One man was at an evangelistic meeting. This guy came every night on the front row after some 20 nights. At the end, he was just wrestling and struggling. And he was talking to the evangelist. And he says, I don't even know if any of this is true. We don't even know if Jesus actually existed. And the evangelist said, come on. You don't come some 20 nights and not believe this. And then he opened the Bible. And he asked a very simple question. Do you hope it's true or not? And this guy sank in his seat and started to cry and said, I'd have to be a fool to not want this to be true. Daniel 6, King Darius can't sleep. He may be in bed, but in his mind he's pacing the floor. Have you ever done that? You're mulling this issue over and over and over, and he can't sleep. He's trying to hide it from the kingdom, trying to play like he's powerful, like he has it all under control. A lot like many of your neighbors when they too are brought under conviction. But they put on that brave front. But I promise your neighbors are having sleepless nights. And Darius made a deal that ends in death and is irreversible. Daniel is going to die, thrown to the lions. Kind of like us as a human race. We made a deal with the devil, we can't change it. So early in the morning he runs down to the lion's den. You know this story. Or more accurately, the tomb as it foreshadows the tomb of Jesus. Interestingly, the night before, they roll the stone over the door, they seal it. But lo and behold, he who should have been dead is alive. And he calls out, King Darius does, Daniel, are you okay? Actually, it's not what he says. Read it carefully. He says, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lion? Why that question? Because if he can save you, maybe he can do something for me. God sends you in to tell what you know of Jesus. Jesus ministers. We watch for interested hearers. We explain the scriptures. We taught what we have learned, what we personally know. And lastly, they taught what they had learned of Jesus and were every day obtaining a rich experience. Do you want a rich experience? Then follow God's plan. Take the pressure off yourself. It's never been about you. Recognize that Jesus does the ministering. 
I just need to look for interested hearers. Share the scriptures, share my testimony, and in so doing, I will be blessed. But he's in charge. He is at the head of the work. He does all the convicting and converting. My job is just to follow the lamb wherever he goes and assist him in his work. So many of us are poking through a drudgery we think is religion. We drag ourselves to church. We drag ourselves to prayer meeting. But sometimes there's just such, it's just joyless, such little joy. Even within our, our, our own saints, I've seen some pretty sour-looking saints. You know what I'm talking about. And you can't help but think, there's got to be something more than just this. You know, in the Old Testament, Jesus used a lot of imagery to teach people about what it means to follow him, how to approach him, how our forgiveness has found the shedding of innocent blood, how if we follow the fiery cloud, he will provide fresh water to drink and manna to eat. And when the cloud moves and the ark moves, you move. And when the cloud stays and when the ark stays, you stay. But in Joshua 1, Moses is dead. A few weeks ago, Elizabeth and I got the privilege of standing on Mount Nebo, where Moses passed away, but he got to see beforehand the promised land. And we were standing there. It was a a beautiful day. We could see the Dead Sea, the top north side of the Dead Sea. We could see just beyond that. That's where Jericho would have been with the walls as huge as they would have been. We could have seen it from that spot. And if you look at the next valley or across the valley to the next bunch of hills, we could see some high rises from Jerusalem. Now, there weren't high rises in, but still, it's right there. You can see it all from that spot. So in Joshua 1, Moses is dead. Joshua assumes the mantle of leadership. It's going to be tough to fill Moses' shoes. And Jesus comes to him as the commander of the Lord's host and says, let's go. Let's go into the promised land. And just Joshua gets the whole plan. And Joshua has to go back and explain the whole plan to the children of Israel. And the people are going to have to take his word for what God said to him. Kind of like there was a whole generation of the remnant church who heard directly from God, but now we're having to take their word for it. And so he tells the the children of Israel, it's time to go in. I've been told that it's time to go to the promised land and to conquer it. Great idea, Joshua. Let's go in. We don't want to wander around the wilderness like grandma and grandpa and die out here in the desert, but we should probably build a bridge over the Jordan River. No bridge. What's the plan then? It's flood season. The river is six feet deep. We're going to go through the river and follow the ark. Follow the ark, but it's six feet deep. We've been in slavery for 400 years. We don't have any tall soldiers. We're all going to drown in the river. Follow the ark. Why? Because the command center has always been the heavenly sanctuary and the throne room of God. So they follow the ark and the waters part. Wow, I can't believe how that worked. That was great. Joshua, what's next? Should we start picking off some of these rinky-dink little villages? No, no. uh, We're going to go after Jericho. Jericho? It's big and tough. We better get started. We need more battering rams and swords and spears and bows. We should open a foundry and start making more weapons. No, we don't need any weapons. What do you mean we don't need any weapons? Have you seen the people on Jericho in Jericho? Have you read the studies about Jericho? Did you read the Newsweek article about how thick the walls are? No weapons. No. No, we're going to follow the ark. We're going to walk around the city seven days in a row. What? They're going to pick us off from the city walls one by one. We're going to follow the ark. It doesn't make sense, Joshua. 
I don't care if it doesn't make sense. It's what we're told to do. Follow the ark. I don't care what the stats say. I don't care what the numbers say. Follow the ark. They march around that city. Interesting thing happens. Not one study predicted it. The walls fall down. But notice they never touched them. Because the commander of the Lord's host was there first. You and I are in charge of precisely none of this. Our call is to do what we've been told to do. And we were only told to do one thing. Go make disciples of all nations. Only one thing. And notice when the walls of Jericho fell, there was a mighty shout. Just like the mighty shout of the second coming of Christ in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. There was a trumpet blast. Just like there will be a trumpet blast, the second coming of Christ in 1 Corinthians 15. And you'll notice it says in Joshua 6, 19, that after the walls fell, the gold, listen carefully, the gold, the silver, the iron was absorbed into God's treasury. Just like in Daniel chapter 2, when the statue is crushed and the gold and the silver and the iron, the brass is blown away and the stone that represents the kingdom of Christ fills the whole earth. What did Israelites learn that day? If you do what God asks... He takes over and does it for you. Follow the ark. You see, at the Garden of Eden, we broke trust with God. We chose not to believe him anymore. I remember when Lauren was a little girl, we have a picture at home. Her uncle and I were playing catch with her. We were in a beautiful pool. There was a waterfall behind us, and we were throwing her back and forth. Started out, you know, we're a couple feet apart, and then three feet apart, four feet apart six feet apart. Some of you mothers might be worried. I promise you, your husbands are doing this. (laughs) It's part of our job to endanger our own children. But the picture shows that she's got this smile on her face. She's in midair. I'm way over here. Her uncle's way over there, and she's just flying. Her curls are just blowing like this. She's not afraid at all. She's just giggling every time. And you as parents can relate to that. You know, there's an age you can take a child and you can put them right here and they'll stand as long as they keep their legs stiff. You know what I'm talking about? And you can balance them around just like this. And they're just smiling because everybody's like, whoa, whoa. And everybody's nervous you're going to drop it. But they're just like, yeah, look what I can do. I don't even know what I'm doing. Oh, okay. But the day comes when they get scared. They get afraid to keep their legs stiff. And they start doing this. My dad also used to do a trust fall where we would fall forward. And first he'd make sure we were nice and stiff. And when we were stiff, then we could fall any direction without putting our feet down. And eventually we'd go to where we were falling straight down. And we, he'd let our nose get about this close to the pavement before he would lunge down and catch us with our shoulders and bring us back. Same with jumping off something high. You know, there's that age where they say, jump, they'll jump, and they'll jump, and they'll jump. And then that time comes and they say, kind of high. Dad, you're looking kind of old. I'm not sure if you'll catch me anymore. I think I'll climb down. And as a parent, you just say, oh, no warning. It's just that day is gone. That's what we did to our Heavenly Father in Eden. We quit jumping, quit holding our legs straight. And so I believe he's given us this exercise to teach us how to start jumping again, to start trusting again, and to simply say, Lord, we can't do this. 
Look at all these studies. It's never going to work. But it's not by might. It's not by power. But it's by your spirit. You declared it. So we're claiming that promise. And we're taking your challenge to take this message and preach it to those people. And then when they're ready to ask, does it work? Somebody needs to be there at the table that can give a testimony and say, it does. Let me tell you briefly my experience. And I promise you, my promises aren't much. God promises you. If you partner with him and his work, you will have a rich experience. It's an exercise of faith. Will you trust him? Dear Heavenly Father, what have we to fear? What have we to dread when we're leaning on the everlasting arms? Lord, we want to lean on you in all aspects of life. Lord, we're all here with personal issues, with work issues, with any host of things going on, but we also want to trust you with what's happening here in our church, with these evangelistic efforts. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit will move in a marked and mighty and powerful way. But regardless of the result, we want to be faithful in assisting you in your work, in your ministry, in your meetings. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.com. Dot org.